Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at classicalweta.org or on the Classical WETA app. Imagine, if you will, a place where the macabre and humor flow amicably. A place where UFOs land and monsters are real. A place where you say to yourself, I want to believe. I want to believe. Welcome to another bonus episode of the I Want to Believe podcast. And today we are discussing the Small Town Monsters series on the trail of Champ. Lake Champlain is home to one of North America's greatest mysteries. Join Small Town Monsters as we explore America's Loch Ness, following researchers, listening to eyewitnesses, and examining the evidence. Had a long neck, smaller head, but the body was huge. You know, you couldn't miss it. It's not too far-fetched to say that there's a population of unknown animals in this lake. Now, this series was directed, written, shot, and edited by Alexander Petikoff. And Small Town Monsters, boy, I have been a huge fan of the Small Town Monsters documentaries since they've been coming out. We're talking Minerva Monster, we're talking The Beast of Whitehall, uh, Mothman of Point Pleasant, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, Flatwoods Monster, and dropping uh, sometime this year, I forget when, is The Beast of Bray Road, or The Bray Road Beast, I think is going to be the title. And Seth Breedlove and the Small Town Monsters crew have settled in to this real genuine way of making documentaries and it's inspiring uh it's it's really about the people and the witnesses and these small towns that they go to to shoot these documentaries and they're just beautiful they tug at your heartstrings and even if you do not believe in the phenomena uh, you can't help but believe these witnesses uh, it's told and these stories are told in such a heartfelt way uh, that it's it's really really tough to uh, not believe what they're telling you and i actually come across that in my research a lot when i'm writing about ufo encounters and, and and don't get me wrong and i've said this before there are some encounters that i just simply do not believe uh, but nine times out of ten at the very least i believe that the witness believes it so for this particular entrance into the small town monsters repertoire, Alex has really done something here with this series. Uh, it's five episodes. Uh, they're all right around 20 minutes or so, a little over, you know, so you're looking at a full length feature documentary and it's absolutely gorgeous. As soon as I was done watching the documentary, I sent a Facebook message to Alex, letting him know how gorgeous I thought this was. I never really had a huge interest in lake monsters. Of course, I absolutely love uh, reading reports about Nessie, and I love reading reports about Champ and Ogopogo, but it's certainly not in my wheelhouse 
whatsoever. And it's kind of interesting because I've kind of always lived near water. By living in Maine, I've always lived, uh, you know, someplace like Portland or Bar Harbor, you know, something like that. I'm in Bangor now. And of course, we have uh, uh, Penobscot. And there was actually footage captured, I think it was last year, maybe 2016, of some sort of lake monster in Penobscot. A perplexing piece of footage from the state of Maine appears to show some kind of creature leisurely swimming down the state's Penobscot River. The baffling scene was filmed by a man, named Alan Dukas, who marveled that this is what appears to be our very own Loch Ness Monster. I will put that footage in the show notes, but I believe when you look at the footage that it's most likely a log that was captured. But it's kind of interesting. This guy was standing, I think he was on the roof of Hollywood Slots, or maybe he was on the uh, uh, the parking garage or something like that and caught, caught the footage. So I'll, I'll find that link and put it in the show notes. So I want to break this down episode by episode here, but there's just a few things I want to go over first. So, uh, of course, uh, the entire series, again, was directed, written, shot, and edited by Alex. It is narrated by Mark Matsky, and Mark Matsky has been working with Seth on a lot of these small-town monster documentaries, and he helped co-wrote, I think, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, and... He has been the narrator on a few of these documentaries. Mark also took over Seth's podcast, Sass What, that he did with his son, Andy. They're just such lovely people. Also involved in this series are illustrations by Brandon Scalf, and it was also produced by Seth and Adrian Breedlove. The illustration for the cover Champ series was actually done by Stephen Bissett. And if you're not familiar with Stephen Bissett, I'm just going to run down a little bit of what he has done. So Stephen Bissett is a comic artist or a graphic artist and editor and publisher, and he has a focus in the horror genre. And he is known for working with writer Alan Moore and the DC comic book Swamp Thing. So if you can check out some of Stephen Bissett's work, wow, it's absolutely absolutely amazing and it is a huge win for Seth to be able to work with uh, Stephen Bissett and for Alex to work with Stephen Bissett and he's also featured in the documentary as Stephen is a Vermont native and has always heard the stories about Champ. Really interesting stuff so check out Stephen Bissett if you can. All right well let's get into episode one. This episode is called Not Your Average Lake and it really gives you a great history lesson on the lake and surrounding areas. Case in point, the lake is a lot bigger than I thought. It's 120 miles long. In some areas, it's 12 miles across. So that's pretty, pretty crazy. This episode also introduces you to some of the researchers that they're going to be talking to throughout the series. And that is Scott Martis. There's also Katie Elizabeth. There's William Dringingus. So there's lots and lots of information here. Now, with Scott, he actually had a champ sighting, and his theory is that he thinks it's a pleosaur, and it's what he calls a speculative hypothesis. And it's plausible, he says, because of other current fish that were contemporaries at one point with the plesiosaur, and those animals are currently existing in Lake Champlain. Also, what's interesting is that 
petroglyphs exist of an animal that looks like Champ. These petroglyphs are in the area. When you're talking about uh, petroglyphs in ufology or in Sasquatch research, you do see these amazing drawings of what could be aliens or UFOs in the sky or of Sasquatch beings, things like that. And I just had no idea that petroglyphs existed of something that truly looks like Champ. Now, Kitty Elizabeth, she's another researcher, and she believes that Champ could maybe be a reptile with amphibious traits. Champ has been seen sunbathing on rocks. People have seen eye shine at night, and that's similar to crocodiles, and that they possibly breathe through their skin, you know, like frogs or turtles, things like that. Very interesting theory there. William Dringingus, he's a cryptozoologist, and he actually has seen Bigfoot himself, and he talks to a lot of witnesses, and he works with Scott. They have gone on expeditions together. I also didn't realize, and that's just me being an idiot, but I didn't realize how close Lake Champlain was to Whitehall, New York. And if you are into cryptozoology, you'll know that Whitehall was a, a time that had a rampant flap of Bigfoot activity. Also offered in this episode is that Barnum of Barnum and Bailey offered $50,000 for the capture or the skin of Champ. The reports soon were printed nationwide, and they even attracted the attention of noted showman P.T. Barnum, who issued a dispatch stating, I hereby offer $50,000 for the hide of the great Champlain sea serpent to add to my mammoth's World Fair show. So pretty interesting, pretty interesting stuff. Episode 2. Many people have seen something unusual on Lake Champlain. From strange humps on the water, to long necks protruding, to glowing eyes in the water at night. All right. Now, this episode it covers pretty much encounters, evidence, and hoaxes of champ throughout this episode, there are compelling stories told by witnesses. One in particular was Vincent Dottilio. This was back in 1958, and him and six other witnesses had an incredible sighting. Vermont resident Vincent Dottilio had a strange sighting in the 1950s. They saw the classic head and neck come out of the water, and they watched it for a little while. I think he says like three minutes or so. It created a wake and then dove under for fish, and they actually didn't tell anyone for 20 years for fear of ridicule. Uh, again, very similar to Sasquatch, UFO, and, and, and all these other phenomena. So it definitely has parallels to all these other phenomena here. Now, one of the biggest pieces of evidence that has ever emerged from Lake Champlain is a photo taken in 1977 by Sandra Mancy. That photo will actually be the cover of this podcast episode. So you'll be able to see that when you load this up in iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get it, you will see that photo. I can also link it in the show note if you're unable to see it. So some other compelling evidence was a 2009 video. It's a cell phone video. And it's actually pretty compelling. They show it right in the series. And it's again, that classic head and neck shape, kind of similar to the Sandra Mancy photo. With that, there is a gentleman named Benjamin Radford, and he is an author and a skeptic of Champ. And he thinks that it is a large log. That doesn't mean that everything seen in Champ is just a log. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed, especially when you see Sandra Mancy's photo. Pretty interesting stuff, so check it out. 
Kitty Elizabeth, the researcher, she actually saw Champ a few different times. It actually has a few different pieces of video. They did share her most compelling piece of video in the documentary. And you really see kind of like a dark shape or hump come out of the water a little bit and it's gliding along and it's creating a wake and, and things like that. And that's certainly not as compelling as the uh, Mansi photo, but pretty interesting stuff. What I really love though is when they are talking about the researchers, what really comes across is how dedicated and how genuine these people are. Uh, it's just, it's very compelling. Also featured in this episode is the Echo Center for Lake Champlain. This is a museum about the different species of, of animals that live in Lake Champlain. And they also have a champ exhibit, which is pretty interesting. All right, let's move on to episode three. It's a, it's a curious body of water. I can certainly believe there's some unknown form in the lake also the way it connects up to the St. Lawrence Seaway and so on. Um, also, Lake Champlain's a large enough lake that we've had shipwrecks. You know, there was, uh, there was a woman's body that was sort of preserved at a very deep level of the lake um, that was discovered a number of years ago. Now, this is uh, a bit more of the history, stories, evidence, and a bit of an expedition onto Lake Champlain itself with a couple of the researchers. So this episode also highlights that land sightings actually occur of Champ. And I didn't really know that that was a thing either. So Katie and some other researchers there, they will use trail cameras. And these trail cameras that they used are actually pretty technologically advanced. They include live feeds with an alert system that will text them or email them or both when a photo or, or, or something is detected and then they can go immediately in real time on site to see what's going on. So pretty cool stuff. With the expeditions, some of these researchers will go out for like multiple nights and like sleep on the boat. The boats will be outfitted with multiple pieces of investigation equipment, you know, radar, underwater camera, sonar, hydrophones, really, really interesting stuff. And one of these camera housing units that they use on these expeditions was actually created by one of these researchers, William Drangingas. Also in this episode, they talk about the Hour Boathouse sightings, and this is a boathouse that is on the water. Various champ sightings have taken place in the waters near the boathouse, including that of his sister and mother. They saw this creature walk up or, or slither up or walk like a, a, a seal, if you will, up this little boat ramp that is on site. They saw this for a little while and called the brother and the brother drove down. When his lights hit the boat ramp, the creature took off. So he didn't get a good look at it himself, but the mother and the sister saw what they claimed was uh, a plesiosaur looking creature and the brother saw it swim off and then dive under the water. So a pretty, uh, pretty compelling sighting when you hear them talk about it. All right, let's move on to episode four. This one is called Champ Search and it's mainly about Katie Elizabeth and her research and investigation and methods and theories and, and you really get a sense of how passionate Katie is about Champ Research. Champ Search is currently the only Vermont-based organization dedicated to proving and documenting the existence of mysterious creatures in Lake Champlain. 
Katie Elizabeth dedicates a large portion of her time to the research and documentation of sightings year-round. My heart kind of hurts for her sometimes because I want her to be able to do all the research that she can all the time and have all the equipment that she needs. But, you know, real life gets in the way. All of the equipment and everything that she does that's champ related comes out of pocket. And being a researcher and investigator myself, I know how frustrating that can be because it's just so expensive and you, you just can't pay for everything you need all at once. Yet you, you have to build. She's been building this over the years. Regarding her investigations though, she is continually on the lake during all seasons. She goes to the Champlain Bridge in Arnold's Bay, for example. Uh, she added a scuba diver to her team, which is really great. And research is also done during the winter months as well. It's something that she says that she has to think outside the box with. Winter investigations are obviously much harder and she is trying to develop theories on hibernation and, and, and things like that. They will go out onto the lake and they'll, they'll drill through the ice and drop cameras. Also in 2018, the town board of Mariah, New York passed a regulation protecting champ in the waters of Mariah and Port Henry. That regulation was written by Katie Elizabeth. Just goes to show how dedicated she is. I follow Katie on Facebook and daily, daily she is posting things about being on the lake and will have photos and, and her research is relentless. And then other times she'll post like a video with her and her kitty <laughs> and it's uh, really cute, but you really get a sense of what these people are and you really get a sense of their day to day. Not that you can really know somebody by following it on Facebook, but if you don't have immediate access to these people, you watch their research and you read their accounts and you read what they're doing in their books and documentaries and things like that but then you follow them on Facebook and you see their their day-to-day -day lives and sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to to reach out to them you know so it's pretty pretty interesting stuff now episode five this is the last episode in the series and it's called small towns big monsters this episode is about local impact and tourism Fort Henry puts on an annual champ day every summer to celebrate the local legendary lake monster complete with champ effigies and a champ parade float the event today is mostly designed for local vendors to show off their products. Champ is undoubtedly the largest presence. The small towns utilize Champ for tourism shops, etc., in a local lore sense, similar to Roswell, New Mexico, Point Pleasant, West Virginia with Mothman, Flatbush, New York with the UFO festival that is there. Uh, so no different than any other uh, small towns that are utilizing these paranormal aspects to drive tourism. And there is nothing wrong with that. I spoke in a different episode in season one about Point Pleasant, you know, was on the verge of like financial collapse. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it was a very, very poor town. And when the Mothman Prophecies movie came out, it really drove a ton of a researchers and B fans to the town of Point Pleasant and they embraced it and they were able to financially turn their town around and I think that's incredible and I think it's amazing especially that it's based on some sort of paranormal aspect so it gets away from it being this this fringe thing where you have to be a lunatic to believe in it or, or to have a passive interest in it and instead it puts it in the forefront and be like no it's it, it's okay if you believe in this 
or it's okay if you want to discuss this and I, I just think that's amazing and I love the way that Alex touched upon this in this episode that it really really is okay and uh, uh, another point in fact there is the Echo Museum does try to educate on Lake Champlain and in an environmental sense with children because they are always asking about Champ. The museum will utilize that and not letting anything happen to Champ to try to fuel that education for the children. And I think that's just phenomenal. Now, Champ is not as popular as Loch Ness. Not as many researchers such as the Sasquatch field or ufology. And, you know, those two combined boasts millions of researchers and investigators and fans uh, around the world. And Champ seems like just a handful of people are actually researching this. And despite the incredible research that Scott and Katie and William and all these people are doing, more research is needed. You know, and you only have a handful of people doing it and the, the lake is so large, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to fully research something like that. And, and William uh, says in the documentary, I believe in this episode, that it takes boots on the ground research and with such a big area to research, it's going to take a lot more people to, to, to get this done, to research more. Now, with sightings of Champ in the lake, a lot of witnesses report a creature 15 to 20 feet long. Now, people with passive or no interest in Champ uh, kind of envision people that are fans of this or people that research this, that this is like this 100-foot terrorizing monster. And of course, that's hard to believe in. It's, you know, it's not a kaiju. It's not Godzilla. And so that really makes it difficult for people to believe. But when you talk to Katie and you talk to the, to, to the witnesses, this really seems like a biological entity that's in these waters. And, and that really helps put it in perspective and makes it a believable phenomenon. In Katie's lasting words on the documentary, she goes, uh, that makes it not so monstrous at all. Um, these animals are described as this monster. And in reality, they're just, you know, a biological creature. Um, 100 feet long is usually the, the misconception, but these animals, in average, around 15 to 20 feet in length. So they're not so monstrous after all. Very, very compelling. And just bravo to, to Alex and the series. You know, it's a, a huge undertaking to edit and shoot and, and write something this big. It's a feature length documentary. And I'm working on one right now with Bill Brock. And it's a lot of hard work. And he did this you know he did the majority of this work himself and and it's just incredible incredible work so how can you see this documentary for yourself well vidi v-i-d-i that is a network that was started by nick groff and elizabeth saint and you can uh, check out vidispace.com and smalltownmonsters.com and from there you can go to the shop section and get the dvd yourself i know i will be buying the dvd even though i've watched this documentary documentary already. This is definitely something that you need in your collection if you are any sort of fan of cryptozoology. So please, by all means, get this DVD. I think that's everything I got for today. I'm Nomar Slevic. You can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Nomar Slevic author. I'm going to be making a few appearances this summer. Uh, I think there's like five that are booked right now. Two of them are in August, one in Vassalboro, and then one in Stratham, New 
Hampshire. Check out my Facebook for dates and times on that. I will also be attending some MUFON meetings up in Millinocket. The first one is June 2nd, then July 14th, and then August something, I forget now, maybe 4th. I'll also be making some podcast and radio show appearances. And again, a lot of those start in July. I'm going to be on uh, Brent Rain's AP show. I'm going to be on Beyond Reality Radio with Jason Hawes and JV Johnson. I freaking love that radio show, so it's an honor to be on that. And I'm going to be making an appearance on Podcast UFO with my homeboy, Martin Willis. He's interviewed me before, and he actually wrote the forward to the new book that comes out in July. And I think the last bonus episode of the season will be uh, my book finally being released. Uh, it's been a long time coming, so I'll do a, uh, a bonus episode on the release of the book and provide some more concrete dates for some of these items. But again, always check the Facebook and you'll be able to see everything there. And we have a Patreon. You can certainly use your support. Each episode takes me anywhere from six to eight hours to edit and record and do all that great stuff. And it's all done out of pocket. It takes time. It takes equipment and it takes posting capabilities and all of that costs money. So if you could show any support, that would be patreon.com slash 207 And we're also on Instagram at 207 All right. Take care, everybody. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal.